Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. Former President Trump can keep his real estate empire while his civil fraud trial continues in New York. Find out how the appeal today went down. Is the House closer to choosing a speaker after Trump backs Congressman Jim Jordan? What lawmakers say as the official vote is approaching next week. Going deeper into the speaker race, an investigative reporter tells us the people want action, which candidates, if any, are meeting expectations. A stunning jobs report which could make borrowing money more expensive. How? And who's President Biden blaming for Americans' economic dissatisfaction? Will the U.S. really continue construction of the border wall? Mexico's president accuses the U.S. of staging a publicity stunt. Find out what he says. And the attorney representing Hunter Biden in his federal gun charge case is backing out. This comes after the president's son pleaded not guilty on all three counts. The Northeast should prepare for a rainy weekend. Tropical Storm Philippe is expected to pick up speed and make landfall in Maine Sunday morning. The front is expected to bring heavy rain and flooding to New England and New York. The storm is currently a post-tropical cyclone that passed near Bermuda earlier today with winds of up to 50 miles per hour. It's bringing up warm, humid air along with the winds and rain, but the flooding is not expected to be as severe as last week. Moving on to former President Trump's civil fraud case, Trump doesn't have to break up his businesses for now. An appeals court judge has halted a key process, but declined to halt the whole trial. The former president's attorney today filed an appeal with a thousand-page document in an attempt to bring the ongoing trial to a stop. He argued that the court went out of its way to issue penalties that prosecutors never even asked for, adding that the ruling is putting hundreds of employees out of work. That's because last week, New York Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron found Trump liable for fraud and ordered the Trump Organization and other businesses to dissolve. This means the former president would lose his entire real estate business within days. But the appeals judge has now temporarily halted that process. The trial is continuing. As for Trump, he's making his opinion known on the race for House Speaker, endorsing Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Meanwhile, a plan to hold a televised forum for Speaker candidates is ditched. NTD's congressional correspondent Melina Weiskup has more. Former President Trump elaborating on his support for Congressman Jim Jordan to take the House gavel, highlighted his successes before coming to Washington, D.C. Trump writing on Truth Social, so much is learned from sports, and Jim was a master, going on to mention Jordan's championship victories in high school and college wrestling. Jordan is welcoming Trump's endorsement, but also is careful to keep in mind the different ideological perspectives of the other 220 members in the Republican House. I appreciate the president's endorsement. He's the leader of the party. You know, we got from, from Freedom Caucus to people in the middle to, to committee chairs. And Trump's endorsement of Jordan comes after news floated that Trump would attend that House meeting next week and also is open to temporarily serving as the speaker to serve as a unifier. Trump says he doesn't want this position, but says he'll do it if it's necessary. But with that said, what does a Trump endorsement mean for these candidates and how members are viewing them? 
I'm not really big on endorsements. It, it will influence a lot of people. To the extent that there was any of that opposition to Jim Jordan nine months ago, it, it has absolutely softened. I think there are a lot of people that, that uh, don't support uh, Donald Trump in the conference, uh, quietly don't support him, and, and there are some who do support him. I, I think we're, a lot of us are going to wait and see how the presentation goes. I think there's going to be momentum. Jordan and Congressman Steve Scalise are the top two Republicans vying for this speakership position. Both of them today calling off their plans to join a candidate forum live on TV with Fox News. Kevin Hearn, who's a third congressman, a potential candidate, saying that he didn't decide whether or not he would try to take this position, but said that he wouldn't join that Fox debate, saying we need to make this decision as a conference, not on TV. The Republican conference needs a family discussion. The House Republican Conference is holding an internal closed door meeting next week where they'll try to discuss and choose which candidate they want to move forward with internally before holding that public full floor vote. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. And to get another perspective on the issue, we spoke with Epic Times investigative reporter and host of Truth Over News, Jeff Carlson. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be back on the show. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. Good to be here. A lot going on this week. Indeed. And to dive right in, Congressman Jim Jordan is seeking the House Speaker gavel, and he's been endorsed by Trump. But what are the other Republicans looking for in this next speaker? Well, I, I think what people are looking for, I mean, there's a couple other candidates that are out there. St uh, Scalise would be one of them. But at this point, it appears that Jordan is clearly leading the pack. And if, you know, I had to bet money, I would I would guess that sometime next week he becomes the speaker, um, although there's a lot between here and then. But, you know, it's an interesting question you pose, because what do you mean by Republicans? If you mean the electorate, they want one thing. If you look at the GOP they seem to want another. I think that's one of the things that came out of this whole upheaval over the speaker with McCarthy's ouster is, you know, the the cloth was kind of pulled back and you could see a situation where the, you know, generally us, the people, the electorate have been very fed up with inaction by McCarthy and it's been building for a long, long time. But McCarthy's removal caused massive upheaval with Congress. They were incredibly upset, almost to a man, by Matt Gates' actions. And, you know, it really revealed the divide between our representatives and the, the, the desires of our representatives and what the constituents actually want. And what the constituents want is action. And I think if, if we have Jordan, be, you know, become the speaker, what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. And he's going to be in a position where he's going to have to move forward and probably move forward pretty quickly. Now, he's going to be a busy guy because he's he's got some committees that he's overseen, a lot of investigations ongoing, um, you know, that may get assumed by other people. But he's going to have a lot on his plate, but he's also going to have a lot of pressure on him. And Jeff, zooming in on the action part, how is Congressman Jordan trying to differentiate himself from McCarthy? Well, <laughs> I mean, that's sort of an interesting question, because one of our big complaints is, you know, there's been these various committees that have been looking into Biden corruption, et cetera. But the reality of it is there hasn't been that much action. There's plenty of steps that could have been taken that weren't, such as subpoenaing Hunter Biden, um, you know, going after uh, uh, Garland, the head of the DOJ, or Mayorkas. None of this has happened. So there's been a lot of headlines that have been put forth. But in terms of actual action, there hasn't been that much. 
And I guess that's sort of what I mean with a lot of eyes that are going to be on Jordan to see that if he aggressively picks up and moves things forward. There has been some talk, although I don't, it's, it's, it's not proven at this point, but there has been a lot of chatter that, uh, that McCarthy was actually holding up subpoena power. So now with McCarthy gone, there's literally no excuse for that. So it'll be really telling if Jordan becomes a speaker, it'll be very telling to see what he does within the first month. And zooming in on Congressman Jordan, he has signaled he's willing to work with President Biden if he becomes speaker. Now, he is also leading the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. How would him as speaker impact that impeachment proceeding? Well, that would be very interesting. It will be, you know, I guess we're not even sure that he's going to be leading those committees after the fact. Um, there may be a role change. And, you know, don't forget that Jordan was actually defending McCarthy before this all came about. Um, in the days leading up, including the day of McCarthy's ouster, Jordan was defending him. So it's it's unsure. But, you know, I mean, what does every speaker have to say? The job of a speaker fundamentally is to sort of build consensus amongst his members. And I think it would almost, you know, to say that he's going to cooperate, I guess that's not totally unexpected. But I think that's more words. Let's see what the actions are. And at this point, it's actions that are going to be much more important. And to one of your points, Jordan founded the House Freedom Caucus. He's also chief of the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. How would him being Speaker impact his other roles? Would he give them up? Would he keep them? I, I would hope that he would keep them. But what my larger hope is that all of this focuses attention on everything that's going on. The Weaponization Committee has incredible powers. They get all the information that the Intelligence Committee does. And that committee gets the highest level of intelligence from our government, more than any other committee. And the Weaponization Committee has complete access to that. And to date, the Weaponization Committee, I would characterize it largely as a disappointment. They was started with much fanfare, and there hasn't been much in the way of results. So I think this elevation of position, and I think this elevation of focus on those positions may actually be some sort of impetus to forcing more movement forward and maybe more latitude to do it. Because again, I do think McCarthy was holding some things back. So I don't think it's as simple as saying all the blame you know, rests on the shoulders of the weaponization committee. I do think they had some hindrances. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. More jobs added than expected. What's in the September jobs report as President Biden argues media coverage is hurting his approval ratings. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. The U.S. economy added 336,000 jobs in September, nearly doubling expectations. That's according to new data from the Labor Department, which also shows the unemployment rate remaining low at 3.8 percent. And President Biden touting that as a sign that Bidenomics is working. We have the highest share of working-age Americans in the workforce in 20 years. And it's no accident. It's Bidenomics. But the rosy job numbers could also prompt the Federal Reserve to further hike interest rates to try to tame inflation. Mortgage rates are already at a 23-year high, and prices continue to rise, with gas prices now averaging $3.75 a gallon. While President Biden says... Inflation is coming down at the same time. Republicans argue... All that means is that prices are not going up as fast as they were, and we are going to be stuck with these high prices. 
Thus, as a recent poll by ABC and the Washington Post shows that President Biden's approval rating on the economy has dropped to a 30 percent low. But President Biden on Friday blamed media coverage for why Americans aren't feeling happy about the economy. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What you report. And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. The Federal Reserve has signaled that it will closely monitor the U.S. economy to decide on future rate hikes. Its next decision could come in December. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. The president of Mexico says the Biden administration isn't actually planning to continue construction of the border wall. He says it's just a show. NTD's Arian Pazdar explores the issue. Continuing construction of former President Trump's border wall. The White House this week announcing it will add around 20 miles of border wall in South Texas. However, Mexican President López Obrador on Friday says the Biden administration isn't actually planning on doing that, saying it's pure publicity. They don't want to build more sections of the wall. That's what they told us. Obrador's comments come just a day after high-ranking U.S. officials met with their Mexican counterparts. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and others traveled to Mexico to discuss immigration. We'll discuss how we can redouble our efforts uh, to stem the illicit flow of weapons from the United States into Mexico and synthetic drugs from Mexico into the United States. Contrary to Obrador's comments, President Biden on Friday again said the U.S. will build the wall, adding that the administration has to continue construction because the funds have already been allocated. Well, I was told that I had no choice, that, I, you know, Congress passes legislation to build something, whether it's an aircraft carrier, a wall, or provide for a tax cut. I can't say I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. The mayors of New York City and Chicago are also traveling south to tackle the illegal immigration crisis. We're going to assess the full situation and that also requires our team to be at the border. To explore this issue and more, I spoke with Victor Avila. He's a former supervisory special agent with ICE and Homeland Security. He's currently running for Congress, aiming to represent a district in southern Texas along the border. Biden administration officials and two Democratic mayors are traveling south. Now, does this indicate that Democrats are changing their approach to the immigration crisis? Um, I, I, I think that it, they've gotten to the point where they can't ignore it anymore. The, the, uh, the American people are speaking out, especially because it's their own constituents, their own party uh, and their own members of the media. that are questioning them and saying, listen, You've ignored this too far. The administration this week also announced it will deport illegal immigrants from Venezuela back to their home country by plane. However, Avila tells me he doubts this plan will have a real-life impact, saying it would take a very long time to actually deport millions of people by plane. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Next, Hunter Biden's attorney, Richard Jones, today filing a motion to back out of the case he's representing. This comes after the president's son pleaded not guilty to his federal gun charges earlier this week. Jones is the latest in a string of lawyers to leave Hunter Biden's legal defense cabinet. He didn't explain the reason for his departure. Hunter Biden is facing three felony gun charges. If convicted on all counts, he could face 25 years in prison and up to $750,000 in fines. Coming up, a debate about the Republican primary debates. Are they worth watching without former President Trump? 
Exploring another debate, DeSantis versus Newsom. We interview a director who's closely following the presidential race. And another deadly attack in Ukraine, hitting the same region two days in a row. Local residents share their stories. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News after the break. Welcome back. Are the RNC debates without former President Trump pointless? Some Republican Party members are admitting that that seems to be the case. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. It's debatable whether or not the Republican National Committee should continue to hold presidential debates. Some members of the party are getting frustrated. Why? Because some say without former President Trump, the debates seem pointless. The former president skipped the first two debates and he's not showing up for the third one. He has said that because of his poll numbers and the fact that he was a former president, he doesn't have to attend. Trump leads the primary field at 57.4 percent, according to a real clear politics poll average. That's more than 44 percentage points above Governor Ron DeSantis, his closest competitor. RNC committee woman from Virginia Patty Lyman told Politico, you can't put your head in the sand and pretend these debates are going to result in someone other than Donald Trump getting the nomination. Other RNC members said the debates were demeaning to the participants. Former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich said this. I was talking to our mutual friend, uh, the pollster Matt Towery, this afternoon. And Matt said to me, based on what he saw last night, this race is over. Donald Trump will be the nominee. They might as well quit having the various debates because they don't work. They're not helping anybody. The former president's campaign said the upcoming debate should be canceled immediately, with more focus on stopping the Democrats from stealing the 2024 election. Tyler Boyer, a national committeeman from Arizona, told Politico the debates can be salvaged if Trump is there. Others believe the debates are an important part of the process. Gordon Kinney, the national RNC committee man from Missouri, told the New York Times these other people are entitled to have their day too, and we're trying to make it fair. The RNC says the third debate, set for November 8th in Miami, will go on as planned. In a statement, a spokesperson for the committee said that as long as there are candidates who qualify for the stage and want to debate, the RNC will continue to sanction debates. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Now let's go into a similar topic about an upcoming debate between two governors, one running as a presidential candidate. We spoke with someone who's following the candidates very closely, author and Epic Times columnist Roger Simon. His new book, American Refugees, is now number one in the local politics category on Amazon, and it's not even out yet. He's also the director of Epic TV's The Presidential Roller Coaster. Here's our interview. Roger Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you back on the show. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Roger, to begin, Fox is hosting the upcoming debate between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom. Now, DeSantis is running for president. Newsom, however, is saying he's not running against President Biden. Do you see this debate as a strong indicator that Newsom is preparing for a presidential run, if not this election, potentially in the future? The answer is a very simple one. Why, yes. <laughs> of course, the man had very clear presidential ambitions, and it could very 
they could materialize very soon. Um, you may have to deal with Michelle Obama, who may also have similar ambitions. We are going to see. And now Newsom is actually going after DeSantis. He's saying that DeSantis took the bait in agreeing to this debate, adding that in his opinion, it makes DeSantis unfit for president. Why do you think DeSantis agreed to this? And do you think Newsom's view is shared by other people? Well, you know, I think what politicians really like is visibility. <laughs> and this gives them both some visibility. Uh, I regret that it's on Fox because I think Fox has become too important uh, in this um, internecine battles and it shouldn't be. But that's just a small part of it. And in actuality, I think both men will, you know, want to be in the, in the spotlight. Both men have presidential ambitions. And Roger, now switching to the GOP presidential debates, Trump has skipped the previous two. He's indicated he's going to be skipping the third and the rest as well. Now, members of the Republican National Committee, or RNC, are saying that the debates without Trump are meaningless. Others are arguing it gives the other candidates a time to shine. What's your view of this? I'm on the meaningless side, I'm afraid to say. In the beginning, I was willing to give it a chance. Now it's become a little weak. Uh, it, at first, it seemed like it might even be a also-ran contest for vice president nomination. I'm not even sure that's true anymore. There's no particular reason that Trump has to pick any of these people if he runs. And the polling in his favor has only grown. Now, this could reverse itself, possibly, but there are only two ways it could reverse itself. One, a legal issue that is stronger than, than presently indicated, or a health issue. And Roger, you actually wrote an opinion piece on this topic, and you know that the RNC is forbidding Ramaswamy and Christie, both presidential candidates, from debating each other on Fox News. How much power does the RNC have in shaping how a presidential candidate comes across? More than they should, in my view. I mean, I, I, I'm not particularly pleased that they did this. Not that I'm dying to see Ramaswamy debate, debate Chris Christie. It's not, uh, even though I think Ramaswamy's a smart guy and Christie is the biggest Trump basher in the, on the Republican side. Boy, it's just not that interesting. But on the other hand, the RNC's control of all this stuff is not seemly. It's, it shouldn't be. They have too much power. And the, the, the candidates should be free to do what they want. I mean, they don't, they're not the slaves of the RNC. And on that note, what can we expect from all the candidates as the third GOP presidential debate is coming up in November? Desperation to be noticed, because uh, as I point out in my article, the number of people watching has already declined, and it's at numbers that are lower than the Trump debates back in the previous elections. So uh, I think they'll be crossing their fingers that someone's watching. I mean, pretty soon your show's going to get more attendance, and I think uh, with justification, that's the problem. Uh, I, I think they're going to have to think of some very interesting things, and I think the RNC should think of a new format, think of new ways to do this, because the previous debate was roundly dissed by everybody, virtually, and it was a bunch of people yelling on, on top of each other, and we learned very little. And if they can't get past that, you know, people are just 
going to switch off. You know, they can always watch a football game or tennis. Well, Roger Simon, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. More on the 2024 presidential campaign. Campaign staff of GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said protesters rammed their car into a campaign vehicle. The incident took place in the central Iowa city of Grinnell yesterday afternoon. Ramaswamy's campaign said two protesters were upset about his remarks in opposition to aid for Ukraine. They yelled and swore at the candidate before at least one of them jumped into a vehicle, rammed into Ramaswamy's empty campaign car and sped off. The campaign said that no one was injured and that it had filed a police report. But police say no evidence supports the claim that the crash was intentional. A 22-year-old woman involved in the crash said she was not there protesting anything and had no idea whose vehicle she had hit. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain says they are making significant progress, getting key concessions from the big three automakers, being Ford's Delantis and General Motors. In particular, he announced they've had a major breakthrough that will change both the union and the entire country. GM has now agreed in writing to place their electric battery manufacturing under our national master agreement. We've been told for months that this is impossible. We've been told the EV future must be a race to the bottom. And now we've called their bluff. This concession will give many workers higher wages and other benefits. The UAW was threatening a strike at GM's Arlington, Texas plant. It's the most profitable auto plant in the world, according to GM Authority. The plant makes some of GM's best-selling SUVs. Fain says the strike is working, but they're not there yet. He says the ultimate goal is to win record contracts that match up with the automakers' record profits. And as the world watches, Ukraine faces another blow. Missile attacks claim more innocent lives in the city of Kharkiv. Some of the residents shared their experiences. And just a warning, the following footage may be disturbing to some viewers. NTD's Jason Perry has the update. Russia launched another deadly attack on Ukraine, the second in two days, according to Ukrainian officials. Two ballistic missiles hit Kharkiv, injuring 23 people and killing a 10-year-old boy who was wearing Spider-Man pajamas. Here's his father soon after the attack, before finding out his son had died. A missile hit my apartment directly. I pulled out my younger son and my wife. My son and older son, 10 years old, are still here. The boys are trying to pull him out. And a neighbor added this. There is my apartment and what's left of it. There is nothing to add. Go ahead and film it. And another resident caught in the attack shared her experience. I am from the second floor. Everything fell on me from the third floor. All the windows, everything got blown out. The rescuers pulled me out of the window on a ladder. These attacks occurred just a day after a crowd of Ukrainians had gathered in a village to mourn a fallen Ukrainian soldier. And as everyone settled in at the service, a missile struck, killing 52 people and injuring several more. A couple from the village shared their thoughts. All the time they miss, well, this time they hit right in the middle of the village. I was at the cemetery today and discussing whether we should do a memorial for all. A mass grave. A mass grave and one monument for all? I don't know.
Meanwhile, on Friday, the Russian press secretary denied responsibility for the attack, saying the Russian military doesn't strike civilian targets and that the strikes target military infrastructure and troop locations. Now that Congress has no Speaker of the House, getting U.S. military aid to Ukraine may be a bit more difficult. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on Friday said that the situation with the United States is dangerous, and he hopes that the U.S., Europe, and Ukraine will continue to work together through the challenges. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, the strength of the U.S. labor market soared above expectations. The economy added 336,000 jobs in September. We talked to a labor economist. And accounting is losing popularity as a career. We speak with several accountants to find out why when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Former President Trump's legal team attempted to bring the New York business fraud trial to a stop. An appeals court judge said Trump can keep his business for now, but declined to halt the trial. Some within the Republican National Committee are admitting that recent GOP primary debates appear to be meaningless without former President Trump. And he won't be participating in the third debate, which the Trump campaign says should be canceled. The latest jobs report shows that the U.S. economy added 336,000 new jobs in September, nearly doubling expectations. President Biden touted that as a sign that Bidenomics is working. The strength of the U.S. labor market soared above expectations. More jobs added in September and the unemployment rate remained low. For further analysis on the new jobs report, NTD Business's Don Ma talks with a labor market economist. And here to talk to me about the latest jobs report is chief economist at Zip Recruiter, Julia Pollock. Uh, so, you know, Julia, with economic data points, it's never a straight line down or a straight line up. So there's going to be some bumps along the way. We got this number this morning, 336,000 jobs added last month, way above expectations. Uh, what should we make of this number? Is the job market heating up again? Uh, how, should we, how should we take it? Yeah, this report suggests that the job market is reaccelerating, and it's consistent with the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now estimate of uh, third quarter GDP growth at 4.9%, about twice the usual long-run average. So there is plenty of evidence to suggest that economic activity is still uh, chugging and that the economy is still generating jobs quickly. So what about when before we talked about uh, perhaps uh, the labor market could, could potentially uh, be cooling? Um, how does that fit into this uh, jobs report number? Well, there's a little sign of a cooling labor market here, although uh, the unemployment rate did hold steady at around 3.8%. So it does suggest that the labor market is no longer at a point of record low, 3.4% unemployment. Uh, it's not overheating. And the wage growth number was fairly cool. Over the past three months, wage growth has taken place at only a 3.4% average rate, uh, annualized rate. And so uh, workers are receiving real wage increases, but um, 
you know, wage growth is, is cooling. And, and that suggests that the Fed can have its cake and eat it. It is uh, bringing inflation down meaningfully without seeing painful job losses. Uh, instead, the economy is still growing, and we're seeing the whole labor market move towards a more sustainable uh, place. Do you expect the unemployment rate, uh, which of course remained flat uh, last month, do you expect this uh, to tick up a little bit uh, because the Federal Reserve is looking for a softer labor market? Well, the Congressional Budget Office and the Federal Reserve both anticipate that the unemployment rate will tick up over the next few months. But it's not clear. Uh, their estimates have been too pessimistic uh, over the past year. And perhaps, perhaps we'll see unemployment hold steady below 4%, uh, as it has done for almost two years now. And of course, I want to talk about the strikes, right? Has there been an impact of the strikes on the labor market uh, from what have we seen? Yes, certainly. So in, in the jobs reports recently, a large number of people, historically unusually large number of people, have been uh, employed but out of work due to labor stoppages. And that was even before the UAW strike began. So that strike is not reflected in this report. Do you think we can have a soft landing? This report very much suggests that we're on a path towards a soft landing. Uh, but there's tremendous uncertainty. There are economists like Steve Hankey who are predicting uh, a, a very severe recession based on how quickly borrowing costs have gone up and how quickly the money, money supply has shrunk. There are others who point to you know, these huge estimates of current rates of economic activity and GDP growth uh, and to, who think we're in a boom time. Anytime there's that degree of uncertainty, it actually is a tax on business and it causes many businesses uh, to, to conserve capital, to take a wait and see approach. Uh, so you know, many, many employers we work with have great ambitions and great growth plans, uh, but they're taking it easy right now. They're, they're slow peddling those, those plans. Well, all right. Thank you so much again, Julia Pollack, Chief Economist, Zip Recruiter. One profession that needs more workers, nursing. Thousands of nurses are on strike to protest staffing shortages. But many nursing schools aren't able to accept hundreds of new students. The reason not only is there a shortage of nurses in clinical settings, there's also a problem with having enough nursing professors to teach them. According to the American Association of Colleges of Nurses, more than 78,000 qualified applicants were turned away last year. Even in schools that have enough nursing faculty members, there are often not enough clinical placements for existing students in hospitals. Those who train new nurses have strict limits on how many students they can supervise at a time. Aggravating the existing shortage, many nurses were burned out during the pandemic and left the profession entirely. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is pumping more than $26 million into an effort to train more nursing faculty to help address the problem. And no one's going into accounting, according to the Wall Street Journal. It was once considered one of the most stable career choices, a launch pad into the upper middle class. But now the journal says people are losing interest in it. Entities fake quarter talks with some accountants to find out why. The Wall Street Journal on Friday published the article, Why No One's Going Into Accounting. It's the profession that involves recording, analyzing, and reporting financial transactions and information. There have been double-digit drops in enrollment in some of the biggest college accounting programs. Stagnating pay, better upfront money in other fields, and an expensive investment in college are turning people away. It's accurate. 
you know, the, the article portrays a very valid picture of what's going on in America today. Young people need to be able to earn a wage to afford to pay rent, to afford their student loans, to afford a livelihood. And um, even in the beginning, they need a certain level of income. Paul Miller is a managing partner at Miller & Company. It's been rated a top 100 accounting firm and has been in business for over 25 years. The firm has been having difficulty hiring new people. Miller believes people aren't applying for accounting jobs because they feel there's no upward mobility or that there isn't a good chance of making more money. It's pretty sad to hear that when I read the article. Armane Alagian is the CEO of the Alagian Group accounting firm. She's worked in accounting for over 20 years and loves the profession. Alagian says the big four accounting firms seem to be focusing more on compliance and regulatory work. Some may consider this type of work less attractive. AI is also entering the scene. Even though it's not doing too much right now, it could replace a lot of accounting jobs in the future. Alagian says students are more interested in tech jobs because that area seems to be more forward-looking and futuristic. She's still positive about accounting, though. It'll never be in decline. I think it's just shifting like everything else is shifting with technology. It's like the backbone of any business. It's keeping score and it's, uh, you know, it, you want to, in business, you want to sell your company. You have to have your accounting right. You want to merge. You want to go public. You want to know how your business is doing. It's, how else would you know? Alagian says that accounting is the language of business. Even though AI is very advanced, humans are still needed for the foreseeable future to understand and work with the data. Accounting is one of the greatest professions. It's been phenomenal for me in my life. And, and you know, you, you have to be interested in what you're doing. You have to be really invested in what you're doing. And if you are, you will reap the rewards. Miller says the numbers always tell an interesting story. Stories about how people spend and how businesses are doing. Something he finds very gratifying. Miller says if you really immerse yourself within the profession, there can be a lot of success. Faye Quarter, NTD News. Georgians won't have to pay gas tax until next month. Governor Brian Kemp has signed an executive order extending the state's gas tax suspension. The governor declared a state of emergency last month and suspended the state's tax on gas due to rising cost of inflation. The suspension was scheduled to end next week, but it will now remain in effect until November 11th. Motorists in the Peach State are now saving 31 cents per gallon on gasoline and 35 cents per gallon on diesel fuel. According to AAA, the average cost of a gallon of regular gas in Georgia is $3.18. That is more than 55 cents less than the national average. However, economists say there is a positive trend for consumers nationally and we could be seeing averages drop to 325 by Halloween. Coming up in the NFL, Travis Kelsey and Kansas City play at Minnesota on Sunday. Will the league's most famous fan show up? And young chefs learn the importance of healthy eating habits. We'll see what's cooking in the Little Kitchen Academy when we come back. Welcome back, and now for your sports news, we welcome NTD's Dave Martin. 
Dave, the major headlines in the NFL the last few weeks have been dominated by a couple of Taylor Swift appearances. Meanwhile, the league has actually defended how much she's dominated their programming. What do you make of it? Yeah, well, I've reported on it a whole lot as well. It's, it's definitely generated more excitement, certainly more fans. I mean, Sunday's game between the Jets and the Chiefs, that was the most watched Sunday program since the Super Bowl. Now, certainly the Chiefs being Super Bowl champs is part of it. Travis Kelsey, he's the best tight end uh, of his generation for sure. Um, now, this week, nobody really knows if she's coming to Minnesota to see the Chiefs play the Vikings, but if she, if she does, I'm sure we'll hear about it. And is that the game you'd like to see? Actually, I want to say San Francisco-Dallas. I think the NFL knows that's the best matchup. That's why they put it in the Sunday night primetime slot. Dallas has such a great defense. I will grant they lost a little bite when Trayvon Diggs went down with an injury. San Francisco's offense is so difficult to defend. They've got running backs who can catch the ball also, receivers who can run the ball. You know, also, I'd like to see if Cincinnati can turn their season around. They're 1-3. Joe Burrow hasn't been 100%. It really goes to show how much uh, they are dependent on their quarterback. And looking at the college games tomorrow, the Red River rivalry highlights the schedule. Who do you like in this one? I think Texas wins. I mean, if Alabama couldn't slow down their offense, I don't see Oklahoma doing it. No, granted, this is a rivalry game, and those are always unpredictable. It's part of the fun of them. Um, now, this is the last year this rivalry game takes place in the Big 12. Fortunately, it does continue in the SEC. That's probably, though, the worst thing about the conference realignment. Generally, you lose these kind of rivalries. Now, for sure, you can get new rivalries in a new conference, but they're usually born out of proximity, and these Pac-12 schools are going to be spread all around. It really goes to show how money trumped everything in this. And now, shifting gears to baseball, the divisional round starts tomorrow. What are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I want to see the Dodgers and see if they can get another World Series title this year. You know, this is their 11th straight postseason appearance, 10 division titles, but they only have one World Series title to show for it. It's like not quite a dynasty yet. It's like the Braves, like almost a dynasty of the 90s and 2000s. I'm also interested to see Clayton Kershaw pitch for them because, you know, he kind of personifies us. He's got three Cy Young Awards for his regular season prowess, but his postseason numbers really haven't been quite as good. Uh, it really goes to show really how much pressure these players are under at this stage of the postseason. As always, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, Tiff. Many chefs discover the magic of cooking and nutrition. A cooking school in Los Angeles gives youngsters the opportunity to gain valuable life skills. Entity's Stephanie Sakal has more. In our world of foodie fun, even kids can join the adventure. Take a look at these tiny chefs in the making. Little Kitchen Academy is on a mission to teach children as young as three about cooking and healthy eating habits through hands-on experiences. In the three-hour classes, kids acquire practical cooking skills and learn about the origins and health benefits of their food. Little Kitchen Academy is a beautifully designed, first-of-its-kind Montessori-inspired academy where children can come in and understand, develop and refine their senses and their confidence in the kitchen. Safety is a top priority, but the program also encourages children to become more independent, fostering personal growth. The Academy's unique setup allows kids to select ingredients from a living food wall, enhancing their culinary knowledge and sensory experiences. The one thing I learned was how to use, use 
some of the tools properly. We learned how to hold a knife so we don't cut our fingers off. We learned how to grip it, which I think is important to learn in the kitchen. Currently available for children aged 3 to 18, Little Kitchen Academy plans to expand to more locations in the future. Teaching kids how to cook is not just about making meals. It's about equipping them with valuable life skills to promote healthier living, independence, and personal development. Stephanie Sikal, NTD News, Los Angeles. And NTD will bring you the highlights of the Miss NTD pageant grand finale this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Watch the winner be crowned with the five Sapphire Phoenix crown and the finalists demonstrate their pure beauty and virtue. Be sure to tune in. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.